0: getting really curious about how you may not be as effective as you would like to be is where it needs to start. It's just real curiosity. And you don't have to give up your hard skills, but you know, in those that softer skill area, might you be missing something that's not allowing you to be effective? And I see that actually a lot with small business owners and entrepreneurs is they just get laser focused on the technical stuff that they need to do or the problems that they need to solve. They're not seeing the whole wake of like human carnage that's left in their wake because they're just so laser focused on this other thing and they would actually be much more effective if they really saw how to hold those technical skills and hard skills but also become more effective with other people and learn how to inspire and influence people rather than just dictate for instance.
1: Hey, before we get into today's episode did you know that club capital is the largest accounting advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country providing monthly accounting cfo services and tax preparation check them out at club.capital welcome to another episode of the club capital leadership podcast my name is bradley hammer your host on today's episode we have mark manukas mark is the co-author of the book unfear transform your business to create breakthrough performance and well-being. He is the managing partner at Co-Creation Partners and has been helping organizations transform their business performance for over 15 years. His work has taken him literally around the world and has allowed him to explore all kinds of different industries. He helps people know how to show up, communicate, problem solve, and even help them to understand how large the gap is between strategy and execution. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Manukas. Have you ever tried online marketing before and were not sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with DirectClicks. DirectClicks is the premier Google Ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% percent results oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with DirectClicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, DirectClicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Mark, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Bradley. It's great to be here. Excited to have you. So we always start with background and origin story. So why don't you give an opportunity for you and your co-creator, co-author of your book to just kind of tell your story of how you guys got to where you are today.
0: Yeah, well, the simple, so... When I reflect on my background, I'm not the typical person who does this kind of culture work in organizations. So I can kind of give you a, a quick background on myself and how uh, Gorov, my uh, business partner and co-author, crossed paths and you know how we got to working together. My story kind of goes back to some blue-collar roots in Connecticut. I grew up in a, a small town, blue-collar town in Connecticut, not one of those high-end towns right outside of New York City. It was very much an industrial town outside of Hartford, Connecticut. My dad was an engineer. My mom was a nurse. I learned from an early age as a man in the world, you don't show emotions. Anger's okay, but just keep your head down as a man and just get it done. Don't complain. I studied engineering like my dad in college. From college, I went into the Navy as a diver and a civil engineer. And one of the big messages that I picked up in the Navy was don't show weakness. In order to be trusted, you have to be tough and you can't show weakness. And from the Navy, I shifted gears completely into management consulting, but I went into McKinsey and Company, which is big firm and their their whole thing is they can take any complex problem in the world and break it up into small little bits and analyze them in a very rational sort of way and put it all back together again in this beautiful solution and answer that creates impact for clients. And so it's kind of weird that I now do this, you know, sort of what some people might consider touchy feely work in organizations around culture and and all that. But I learned over time, you know, I had a couple of key moments in my career that, yeah, in order to be trusted, you actually have to be vulnerable. In yeah. order to create any real change in the outside world, you first have to be willing to look at yourself. And when I reflect on my life, you know, what allowed me to be successful in some ways, but also became very limiting was I was a hyper competitive person. I felt like I had to win everything and I can go back to my childhood, but also most of my professional career. And that was just a repeating story. And at some point I kind of woke up and realized, wow, that's just a very limiting way to look at the world. That was a point at which I met Gorov. We crossed paths. He uh, had started Co-Creation Partners, which is the company I'm with now. I was still at McKinsey and Company where he came from, and he was running this mindset workshop. And it really, you know, some of the light bulbs started to click for me. And I started to see how much my mindsets were conditioning, how I showed up as a leader, and also just the kind of change I was able to bring to the world. And so over time, I've gotten much deeper into the culture side of transformation and now bring together operational excellence with culture transformation. And that's the basis of the book that we wrote as well.
1: I feel like while the companies that we were with were different i think your story is my story too completely agree i mean yeah. with hyper competitive growing up was almost unchecked in my hyper competitiveness took that into my career and into my businesses same thing not going to be vulnerable with people not going to open up and it's interesting now that i have this podcast and i share more of the vulnerabilities of struggles and weaknesses now doing this than I ever did was willing to do one on one with somebody. So it's kind of ironic Mm -hmm. to me. So I can absolutely genuinely relate to exactly what you share there. I think Craig Groeschel says it really well in his podcast. He says people would always follow a leader who is real rather than one who was always right. And I tried Mm -hmm. to think that if I was always right, or I presented myself a certain way, that people would trust or respect me just because of maybe the way I was coming across, as opposed to actually just being very real and saying, you know what, I don't have all the answers, and I need some help. So I think this will be a great conversation. Yeah, Um, Yeah,
0: that's beautiful. I wish I had that perspective earlier in my career, but it's something I've I've come to discover. So do
1: I. I wrote this down as a place for us to kind of start. This idea... It's actually the subtitle of your book. And I think it ends up becoming this part where we don't even necessarily know that it's a dilemma, but this idea that we want to have breakthrough performance in our businesses, in our companies. But we also understand that we want to have this idea of employee well-being. And sometimes those do not necessarily fit. It is a either we are really going to grow and develop and even scale the company. And if it burns people out, it burns people out. But you guys say that there's actually a, third option there to be able to achieve both. Can you speak to that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's some organizations are on the other side. They say, look, performance isn't as important as taking care of our people. And then they think they need to sacrifice performance. But yeah, the essence of the, the work that we do is we help people see that that's really a false choice. You can pursue business performance and employee well-being, but it kind of requires you to get down to the level of individual mindsets and even deeper than that in some ways, which is people's individual and collective relationship to their fears. And it's not about overcoming fear or not experiencing fear. It's really just about engaging with your fears and stresses and with much more curiosity. And that becomes a pathway to kind of resolve that seeming paradox. Between performance and well-being.
1: When you say fear in the workplace, can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think even for myself, that was not a word that I would necessarily have realized that maybe people that have worked for me would have been experiencing maybe intimidation, possibly, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily fear. How was fear? How does it show up in the workplace?
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it tends to show up in certain patterns of behavior. So most people wouldn't immediately say, "Oh, yeah." Fearful, therefore, I'm acting in a certain way. They just sort of act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it feels, in some way, and while maybe very uncomfortable or stressful, it's also their go to pattern in times of stress. So it's in their comfort zone, so to speak. But these, you know, we can kind of get into some of the particulars, but, you know, the two general flavors are you either act aggressively in the face of your fears, you know, and, and get hyper competitive, or you become perfectionistic, or you find fault with other people. Or you become sort of passive where you seek approval or you just avoid situations and conflict. And both of those are probably based in good intentions, but they can become dysfunctional. And they're fundamentally based on fear. It's in fear, what is fear? It's really just some perception of a threat in the world. And so part of the work we do is just to help people become a little bit more aware of how they are perceiving threats. They may be orienting themselves in this sort of survival way or survival stance to the world and how it's leading to certain patterns of behavior that may not actually be serving them and their organizations.
1: Do you think leaders and for our listening audience, business owners tend to be more skewed over to the aggressive side?
0: I think entrepreneurs in general do tend to be a little bit more on that side because it's you know, the general story. So we talk about, you know, there's a difference between physical fear and emotional fear. So physical fear is true. There's a threat to your physical body. Yeah. Yeah. Emotional fear is there's a threat to your ego, essentially. And what is the ego? It's the ego is really just a story you're telling about yourself. And so there's a story that's built up in terms of how we perceive a particular threat. And so people with more of an aggressive pattern, there's something threatening. But if I can stand out and be special, if I can stand out and yeah, just prove to the world how special I am. I'll be okay. It's like the just the general, very general form of that story. And I think that's kind of entrepreneurs are saying, hey, like, if I can just stand out and just be special in the world, I'll be successful. If I win, my business is successful, then I'm okay as a human being. And so that's just the, I think, a general, yeah, perhaps story that people in that world tell themselves.
1: I don't know if this is necessarily right to attempt to go down this therapy route or so, but I mean... Do you think a lot of it happens in childhood whenever you experience certain different traumas or even experiences in your childhood about how you were raised or your mother, your father, your grandparents, whatever, and how that ultimately kind of manifests itself later in your life?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the word therapy sort of has a stigma. It's like, hey, you're broken. You need to seek medical care. And there are situations and contexts where somebody certainly may need you know that level of care. But if we just look at basic psychology, And how the brain works. Negative experiences stick to us. They stick in our memories like Velcro, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And really positive experiences don't stick to us. You know, we'll experience a real great high in the moment, but it sort of slides away. And so, yeah, if you think of most patterns that we have, you know, develop in life, there's some element of we've had some painful or hurtful experiences in the past. And we're seeking to not have to experience that pain or that hurt again. Yeah. And so we develop certain patterns, and absolutely, that's that. We'll go back to childhood experiences, whether they're particularly traumatic or not. Right? They do tend to stick with you, and and throughout life as well. So, I've never been to a therapist, but I am very deep into the psychological research about how we tend to form patterns and habits in life, and what you can do to change those.
1: You mentioned something earlier that I actually have used this verbiage quite a bit. Is that you said soft skills? i was a hard skills person and i still tend to lean that way for sure it is a conscious choice to develop my ongoing soft skills because i would much rather talk strategy scoreboards numbers tactics measuring or all of that stuff i'm more comfortable that way you worked for mckinsey for a long time which is renowned and what it's doing as strategist and many other things, obviously. For someone who's listening to this that can maybe relate to that and sees that maybe their culture is not really where they want it to be, I know my own story and you've shared a little bit of yours, but where do people begin the process of beginning to develop more of those soft skills to develop their culture in their business? It's
0: a great question. Yeah, because the hard skills are quite important. We can't, can't lose sight of those. And no, yeah. Oftentimes, you know, we also, you know, most of our educational system is built up into developing those hard skills. And most people get promoted. And even, you know, and if you're a small business owner and starting a small business, you know, the early phases of your success are built up in how well you've mastered some of those hard skills and strategy. Yeah, the big challenge of learning as well as we start off as being unconsciously unskilled. So we basically, we don't know what we don't know. So yeah. how do you come to know what you don't know if you don't know that you don't know it? It becomes a real challenge. But I think part of it is just getting really curious about how you may not be as effective as you would like to be is where it needs to start is just real curiosity. And you don't have to give up your hard skills, but you know, in those, that softer skill area, might you be missing something that's not allowing you to be effective? And I see that actually a lot with small business owners and entrepreneurs is they just get laser focused on the technical stuff that they need to do or the big, you know, the problems that they need to solve. But then they're kind of, they're not seeing the whole wake of like human carnage that's left in their wake because they're just so laser focused on this other thing. And they would actually be much more effective if they really saw how to hold those technical skills and hard skills, but also become more effective with other people and learn how to inspire and influence people rather than just dictate, for instance. But it's different for everyone.
1: This is making me think of emotional intelligence because there's times when I'm talking to someone, again, this was my own story myself, so I want to be transparent to say that I went through this where I thought, man, I'm doing all the right things. I'm checking all the right boxes. I do not know that is my process for doing this. It's my process, I'm doing all these things. I do not understand we are not maximizing the opportunity. There's more in me, there's more in this business than what we're getting out of it, and I can't figure out what it is. Now, what that ended up manifesting itself to, and this is actually a good segue into my next question, is constant change, constant change. And it was a searching for the right answers. And so, before we get into talking about change management, how do you navigate through all of that within culture, because it's one of the things I want to talk to you about, is this realization to your point of there's more in me as a leader than what I'm getting out of this opportunity. Does that make sense? Like that was a place yeah. I got to was like, yeah. it was almost a place yeah. of frustration We're like, I don't yeah. know what I'm doing wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you may not have know the answer, but I think you can tune into that frustration and say, Hey, there's the signal here that it's a sign that I may not be as effective as I need to be. Or the system I'm leading is not as effective as it could be. So what are we missing here? I yeah. think that's step one.
1: Yeah. So change is, whether it's technology changes that are happening in our organizations, change is now happening at a more rapid pace. How do you create the right culture to allow the right changes to be able to take place? Because some people can get really comfortable in certain routines, and whenever something comes to disrupt that, it can create an issue in the culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, change is a constant. I think there is a sense that change is decelerating and you know, I would think about it at three different levels. I mean, one is just how we as individuals relate to the uncertainty and the change that's there. Second is how we in relationship or in teams build trust, effective conversations when we're in situations where there's a lot of change and uncertainty. And then how do you build systems, feedback loops and, and routines that allow us to see changing conditions and adapt to them in an in effective in a fast way. So on the individual level, just to give you a feel, there's a couple of key mindsets. You know, we talk about the shift from being a victim to being in mastery. So Mm. where a victim says, look, things are happening to me. I have no choice. I have to react in a certain way. Someone in mastery says, look, I may not control the circumstances. I may not control what's changing in my environment, but I always have a choice in terms of how I respond. Very different orientation to the change that is inevitable and it leads to very different results. The other shift in mindset is from a knower to a learner. So a knower says, look, I already know the answer or there's nothing to learn here. A learner or someone shows up with curiosity. and says, look, there's something I have to learn here. And what is it? And again, that's a very different orientation, very different way to show up when conditions are changing than the other, other way. And so those are two fundamental mindsets that if you can get those in place for individuals or critical mass of individuals in an organization, especially the top leaders, we can deal with change in a very different way. At the team level, it's just it's about building trust. So what does it mean to have trust in relationships? And are we open about things? Are we you know, Do we have emotional intelligence together? Are we willing to share what's uncomfortable and speak to those things so we can deal with them or do we hide them and sort of pretend they don't exist? And then at the organizational level, it's all about, yeah, do we have the right measurements in place? Do we have the right learning routines like retrospectives and agile practices or lean practices, you know, things that just create learning in our environment that allow us to adapt quickly to changing circumstances or things very ossified and sort of bureaucratic, you know, and don't allow for learning. And so there's all kinds of things we can talk about at that level. But I think about how you create a culture that adapts to change and uncertainty, you have to deal with it at all all three of those levels.
1: The best use of money is to buy back your time, and one of the best ways to do that is with a virtual assistant. Rock-solid virtual Assistance brings together top business leaders with exceptional virtual assistants to build successful, relationship-driven teams. The services they provide range from graphic design and marketing to executive admin assistants and everything in between. There are many virtual assistant companies on the market to choose from, but at RockSolid, their processes and passion for what they do place them at the very top of that list. Not only is their hiring process exceptional, which nets them the very best assistance, but they also provide superior support to their teams for the duration of your time with them. The matching process at RockSolid is unlike any other, and they have the track record to prove it. Their hands-on approach has proven to increase the success rate of their teams exponentially. So if you're looking to build a rock solid team for your business, reach out to Tracy and the team for a no pressure discovery call at rocksolidassistance.com. They value your success as if it were their own because it is. Just by the nature of this podcast and the topics of leadership and entrepreneurship and growing our businesses, the topic of culture comes up often. It really does. I should have asked this before. How do you define culture?
0: It's a beautiful question. Yeah, I think about this a lot there's multiple different answers. I'll, actually, maybe I'll offer two. One aspect of the culture is what we repeatedly do. So what are the habits that we have at the organization? Because when we repeatedly do things individually and then collectively, that kind of becomes our culture. Another aspect of the culture is what does it take to fit in within an organization? What are the behaviors or ways of showing up that allow you to fit in and be accepted into the group?
1: At the time of this recording, there's a, regardless of how you feel about Certain things politically at all, because I don't really get into politics. There's a major culture shift that's happening at Twitter right now <laughs> from a corporate <laughs> perspective. Often that does not happen in our organizations. You don't see something like that. Where it is a clear line of, well, the thing was going this way. Now it is literally going this way and it happens. It becomes much more like trying to turn the Titanic is the only way I know how to put it. It's just this slow incremental change. Again, I'm just trying to contrast that to the Twitter Elon Musk buying it and saying, okay, this thing's not going this way anymore. We're taking a totally different path. What are the things when someone says, I want to institute a cultural change in my organization because the performance is not where it needs to be, but also, I can tell there's just not only forget performance, but there's also just the team well being is not what it needs to be. And I need to go about instituting that change. You again don't aren't gonna say, Hey, Elon, come buy this thing and so like we can change the culture. I mean, what are the things that someone needs to do to start actually architecting that change?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even on the Twitter, I would question whether or not Elon Musk is really taking care of the well-being of people and that you know that that's that's is- that's
1: a such yeah. a fair point. That's a yeah. great point, right. I mean, there's definitely a big debate about that for sure. absolutely. For yeah. sure, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. I mean there's definitely a number a couple of different entry points, you know just to keep it sort of concrete and practical for your listeners, I'll offer up a, a few thoughts. I mean, obviously, there's you really want to change a culture long term. There's a program you can put together and a lot of things you can do over a period of time. But there's a few things that make a real big difference. One is, how are you showing up as a leader? Are you truly role modeling what it is you're expecting of other people? And Mm -hmm. are you aware of your blind spots and and how you may be unwittingly, even with the best of intentions, reinforcing a culture that you don't want to create? So I guess step one is just defining what is the culture you're trying to create. Step two is saying, how am I role modeling this culture? Mm -hmm. If culture is uh, repeated patterns of action or habits, am I embodying those patterns and habits or am i doing something else And third is is telling the right story to the organization most culture is transmitted via stories and so what's the organizational story what's the lore the myths in the organization that you're trying to create you know what's the story about the history and where we've been where we are today and where we want to go and does that resonate with people is that inspiring to people, I think it's a really important piece. It's beyond just communication. It's obviously communication is an important part of that, but it's it's really is the communication fitting into a story that makes sense, that is inspiring for people. And then the next element is how are you reinforcing for people the patterns and habits that you really want to see? Are we celebrating and rewarding you know, the people who are acting in a certain way? Are we actually rewarding the other people and sending some mixed signals? So it's just getting really clean on how do we reward people? And how do we celebrate the culture that we're really trying to create?
1: Along with that, there's this idea of employee engagement. I've heard it many Mm -hmm. times before. Again, I think coming to a definition of terms, when you say or you all say employee engagement in an organization, really, what do you mean by that? And how do you create in a sense to be able to create the power of actually getting employee engagement in a healthy organization?
0: Yeah, For me, very practically, it's do you have employees who see what's needed and do it? Mm -hmm. That to me is engagement. If you have employees who see what's needed and do it without having to be asked or cajoled or reprimanded or whatever it is, that's an engaged workforce because they care. They understand the direction. They care. They feel like they have the degrees of freedom to act. And they have a degree of safety to take some risks and Mm -hmm. act. To make things happen. That to me is an engaged workforce. I mean, there's different survey tools and all that that sort of measure that. But to me, the essence of what it means to be engaged.
1: You know, I was thinking about the survey that Gallup did that said at one time, it may have changed, especially post-COVID, but that people left organizations more because they did not know what was expected of them. And to me, that shows a lack of engagement from them individually and what their role was of how they contributed to the actual business at all. They had no idea. They were like, I don't know. I'm just a cog in the wheel. And yes. that's that's the lack of an engaged workforce.
0: Yeah. And that cuts both ways too. I mean, I think without assigning blame, let's put blame aside, but I think there's a role for the worker who's saying, look, I feel like a cog in the wheel because that's fundamentally a victim mindset and yep. saying, look, I have no control. I'm powerless to act. Which is an orientation to life. So how do you get that employee to say, Well, great, you can do that, but there's consequences and are you happy with the consequences of showing up that way? Or do you want to show up in a different way? You know, mastery and feel like you have a choice. There's also a role for leaders to just be clear, to create the environment where people feel like they can step into mastery a little bit more easily. And so part of that gets back to, you know, are you telling a clear story? Is it clear what direction we're moving in? Are we celebrating the times when people do step out of that comfort zone and take action even when it you know was a little bit risky there's a role for leaders but there's also a role let's not let you know the employees off the hook as well because how they show up is also reflective of how they feel about how well engaged they are
1: There's a friend of mine, Dustin, he'll listen to this podcast. So Dustin, I'm going to give this shout out to you for this one. We were talking about one-to-ones and the value of having one-to-ones every single week with your direct reports. And I kind of used a five-step process. And Dustin, this is totally on his. He integrated a question where he started asking, I don't know if he asked it at the very end. I'm not sure, but he asked it during the one to ones. He'll say, Mark, on a scale of one to 10, how are you personally? And they'll say, well, you know, I'm a." now the obvious are accustomed to it and they come in with it. But he'll say I'm a seven. Well, what would need to happen to get you to a 10? And what he says that happens there and I started integrating that into my one to ones as well. And what that does is it begins to kind of shift off of, okay, after action review, these were the three big things you said were you're going to get done last week. Did you do that? Here's your numbers. All that's important. We're not saying any of that you should not do that, but that really started to get into people sharing around what's happening in their personal life and opening up that space. And so I just wanted to share that question and so see, you get your thoughts on that as an example for getting to actually create engagement because you're approaching them as a human being, not just as... What have you done for this business or this organization last week or this week?
0: It's a nice example of a habit that if it's done, you know, regularly right. consistency right. with the right mindset and intention as well, it really can impact the culture, becomes the culture. But there's a couple of aspects of that. Yeah, you know, asking the question and what would it take to get from a seven to a ten. I mean, one, there's a degree of openness that you're creating with mm-hmm. that that employee. Even better if with that routine is the leader also being open as well. Or are they only asking the person they're working with to be open? So I think it oh, gets point. back to role model. Are you role modeling the openness that you're expecting of other people to really truly make it safe for them to open up? The part that I really love is what would it take? I mean, you're actually saying, "Look, you have the power to take some action to improve your situation. What sure. are you willing to do? What yeah. are you willing to do?" So it's reinforcing that that idea of mastery.
1: That's a good point about you actually sharing like, well, you know what, today I'm kind of a five. I didn't slip good last night or I had a... I think that's great to be willing to share with those that you're having the one-to-ones where you are as well, not just them always sharing it with you. So it is obviously the name of the podcast is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. I'm curious, like what does effective leadership really look like in today's business world? Mm. That's a broad question. I know that's a super loaded question. question. You can take that along. That's almost like, how do you define culture? Well, how do you define leadership? You know, I've heard say, well, leadership is influence. Maybe so, but it feels a lot more than that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess to put it into language that we kind of have in unfear, I think there is this unfair core to really effective leadership that gets down to some individual mindsets. Am I showing up as a victim or am I showing up in mastery? And am I role modeling that mastery? Am I showing up as a knower and as an expert, you know, I have all the answers and I just need to give you my answers or am I showing up, you know, as a learner with true curiosity? And so it's, yeah, it's being, you know, in mastery, it's being a humble leader, I think is really important. And the behaviors can take many different forms depending on the nature of your organization. I think there's four different flavors or types of behaviors that we talk about in our book. You know, one is all about achievement or pursuing excellence. You're really ambitious, setting big goals and targets and inspiring people. That's one sort of actions or habits you can embrace. Another is about continuous learning. Are we creating a lot of spaces for us to step back and learn and reflect and adjust, problem solve and do all that becomes another important piece. One is, are we really good about developing ourselves and other people? Mm. Am I stepping up? Am I leading as a coach or am I leading as someone who's just setting direction? Your friend I think it was Dustin you know mm-hmm. who has that that's all about am I showing up as a coach and you know, I'm having these weekly one-on-ones that's a great pattern to reinforce and then the other is am I developing trust and cooperation across the group and building teams and so there's you know a variety of habits and routines that can kind of fit into that there's this core mindsets but they can manifest in different ways depending on the nature of your organization and, and where you feel like you need to put your time and energy.
1: Yeah. If you have someone, because I just had this, it's not, it's not an employee, not somebody that works for me, but I did have a situation the other day and I won't give too many details because I got to protect the innocent here. <laughs> but it was somebody that really in a, I don't want to say a critical moment, but it was in a touching moment. Okay. It was in a touching moment, showed a complete lack of emotional intelligence. I mean, they just brought something up, presented it to the group in a moment where you think, you just stole the thunder of that moment. I cannot I cannot believe that of all times to say what you said, you chose that time. There was multiple chances to share that. And it's obvious to everybody else. But to this person, it was like, this is a perfect time. I got everybody's attention. You think, what? Here's the reason I'm asking this question. If you see someone who is, again, they're trying to do the right things, okay? But They do lack some emotional intelligence. How do you approach that in a way that's not completely demeaning? Because, you know, what's going on inside of me at the moment is like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I cannot believe you said that. That's what I want to (laughs) say. We'll keep it PG. But I didn't do that. But how do you approach someone, say that you're a leader of, that really does, like you want to help them improve their emotional intelligence in certain situations?
0: Yes. Beautiful question. We didn't get too much into the skills of how you have conversations in the workplace and build trust. But one really important skill that's kind of built up in a situation like that, or would be useful in a situation like that, is separating observation from interpretation. So if you're really Mm. showing up with curiosity, if you're really showing up as a learner, how do you give someone feedback? Well, first you have to own your own interpretation of what they said and what you thought they were Saying you know what your interpretation of that was, and then really engage the other person in a dialogue about well you know was that accurate? So if I was having maybe a feedback session with that person, I'd say, hey, in that meeting, I just want to share with you what was going on. You said X, Y, and Z. The way I interpreted that was you were really being dismissive of what where the rest of the team was coming from. You weren't really tuned into what everyone else was saying. You didn't care what the rest of the group was saying. But I don't know if that's accurate, you know, like you tell me, you know, that was just my sense of it. But what was your sense of that interaction? And so by giving feedback, by separating observation, interpretation, you can own your initial like WTF uh, reaction, but also create real space for the other person to be like, no, that's not at all where I was coming from. I was just really nervous. I really did care, but it just came out funny or whatever it is. I've been doing this for a number of years now, and it's just absolutely amazing to me how often I get it wrong, how often my interpretation of where Mm. somebody was coming from or what they meant was completely off base. (laughs) So I've learned now to like really, truly have curiosity. But sometimes it's hard because we think in our mind, we create a story like that. And we're like, this person is whatever, right? We tend to label and create that story. And so it's just having more curiosity about how we label and, and tell stories about each other. And just to, you know, connected to the you know maybe craziness in the world and Twitter and politics, this is just a pattern that happens repeatedly in any strained relationship where we tend we think we know where the other person or the other side is coming from, and we don't really engage with curiosity. So, how do you engage with curiosity? That's the invitation.
1: No, that's really good. That's good. That was worth the price of admission right there. I will absolutely remember that one for a long time. Observation versus interpretation, because you can say, listen, this is what I observed. This is what you said. Like, that's just what it was. But then this is how I actually interpreted that. That's good. Yeah.
0: Um, and the key that. there is to own how you interpret it without making it about who the other person is.
1: Sure. Sure. That makes sense. I did interpret it this way. You know, you were yeah. that this is how I interpreted it but I'm inviting you to be able to share with me that how that could be wrong. At times, I did not have that language. I will certainly use that language now that oftentimes I would have used assumption. This is the assumption I came to uh, or the conclusion I came to based on that. But oftentimes you're right. That's actually wrong. That's not exact and not at all what they intended by that. So I think that's good. Yeah. I'm curious, what was the best thing and the worst thing about working at McKinsey? (laughs) You
0: know, so the best thing such a short period of time, you can work with so many different organizations on so many different topics and really learn so many different things. It was just a great learning ground, you know, to shift from the military into the business world and just have such a compressed, intense learning experience. I think that was the most fun. What wasn't so great for me is, you know, what's the best way to put it is I, I felt very alone and isolated at times. I'm this hyper competitive person. And so I became so identified with what my review was and whether or not people were rating me positively. And as soon as I hit a bump in the road, I took it so personally and it's like my identity, my core identity was at stake. And so the way I dealt with that is I just isolated myself. I didn't ask for help, I didn't cultivate mentors. And so at some point along the way, I felt very isolated at times and didn't feel as supported and uplifted as I would have liked to have been in an intense environment like that. But a lot of that was how I showed up, too. And I own that.
1: Oftentimes, the hardest thing that we can do is ask for help, right?
0: Yeah, for me, especially. Yeah, at that point in my life, that was a really difficult thing for me to do.
1: Yeah. Mark, it's been great. If people want to connect with you, they want to find out more about the book, why don't you tell them about the book and where they can find a copy of the book. And then if they want to reach out to you and your team, how can they do that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can learn more about my company at cocreationpartners.com. You can learn more about the book. The title of the book is Unfear. Uh, you can find that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or other booksellers. Also, unfearbook.com is the place you can go. And if you want, you can always send me an email, mark at co-creationpartners.com with no dashes.
1: Awesome. Mark, it's been a great conversation. Glad to have you on.
0: Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.
1: All right. I do it every week. I try to give a couple observations, takeaways for myself that hopefully serve all of you if you're on Twitter, which, hey, if you're on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. I really like Twitter. I think it's my favorite platform. I know I mentioned about Elon, but I really do like Twitter at Bradley Hamner if you're on there. So connect with me and let me know that you follow the podcast. So three quick things. The reason I bring up Twitter is that it says, too long, didn't read, (laughs) often on some of the tweets. And so, anyway, one thing is, whenever you mention observation and interpretation, here's what I observed, and then here's my interpretation, I will truly remember that. Number two, the mindset, he actually said this multiple times, mindset of a knower to a mindset of a learner, and he actually talked about genuine curiosity several times. He actually said curiosity multiple times throughout that podcast. And then number three, When he said, and I asked, how would he define culture? And he said, what we repeatedly do. And I kind of gave the idea, and I was contrasting it with Musk buying Twitter. But really, I think that is actually so true. You have heard that around what we repeatedly do is the actions. But I do think it's actually, I've never heard it in the context of culture, but that is so true. I can look back at times and I was like, well, these are the reactions that I was doing or these are the actions that this person was doing or the actions that all of these people were doing over a long period of time. And how do you actually show up? And of course, just as an example of utilizing that in, that question in your one-to-ones, as I shared with my friend Dustin had shared with me and I'm sharing with all of you to be able to put in your one-to-ones, there's a habit that's forming about wanting to get to understand and know your team on a deeper level. So hopefully. That served you, I think, oftentimes for me, especially for a long time at the beginning, I would dismiss soft skill things. I'm like, ah, you know, that soft skill stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want to get down to all the harder skill things. But it really is the soft skills and the culture that I actually develop. You've heard me say that on other episodes before. So make sure you go to co-creation partners and connect with Mark. His partner, Guav, wasn't able to join us today. He was under the weather but definitely check out their book. Go to unfearbook.com, unfearbook.com. Thanks as always to our podcast sponsors, Autopilot Recruiting, Coach P, Rock Solid Assistance, Club Capital, and Direct Clicks. Our newest podcast partner, Autopilot Recruiting. They are doing an unbelievable amount of work to help small business insurance agents to be able to grow their agencies with A players. You know the importance of recruiting A players and you also know the value of having quality people on your team. And you've probably heard, whether it's a guest that I've had on here before from other people, the importance of doing it on a regular basis, but you've not been able to put that type of consistency into practice in your own organization. Go to autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code Club Capital to get started. Go to autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code Club Capital to get started. You found the right A players on your team. You also know that you need to develop them and get them up to speed as quick as possible. If you were a part of the Coach P Consulting family, then you would know that they were going to get trained by some of the best in the business, getting it done at the highest level. And that is with coach p go to coachpconsulting.com let coach p know that you heard about him on the club capital leadership podcast and will give you your entire first month off coachpconsulting.com share this idea with some of you before maybe on the podcast i know with some of you individually but having a secret weapon like an executive assistant has been the biggest game changer for me personally I did not realize having someone who's really, I kind of look at them as growth assistants. They're helping me to grow, personally helping me to stay in kind of my lane, and then also helping to grow the business. And when you're wanting to find a great executive assistant, obviously autopilot recruiting, what they do to be able to help you find your sales team, your service team, etc. on your staff is critical. Also being able to have an executive assistance where Rock Solid kind of comes in and they're specifically going to help you to find a great EA. Go to RockSolidAssistance.com, speak to somebody, have a discovery call with Tracy or somebody on her team, and they can help you to kind of understand exactly where an executive assistant would fit and how they're going to be able to help you to stay in your sweet spot. So maybe you can actually spend more time with your team. You can spend more time. Interviewing some of the people that your recruiter with Auto Pilot recruiting has put in front of you and obviously meeting with big clients, et cetera. So go to rock com. We're getting down to the end of 2022. You're starting to do fall planning for 2023. And you know that having more of a presence online, getting your team quality leads to whether it's finish out this year or especially getting off to a really great start, having some momentum going into next year is important. So go to directclicksinc.com. They can work with you on your SEO and your pay-per-click campaigns, directclicksinc.com. Finally, big thanks to my partner, Club Capital. Go to club.capital. If you want to get on top of your numbers, Club Capital is way more than just a CPA firm. And if you have not done a demo to see, I just spoke on with Coach P's group just uh, last week, actually, and shared with some of the things around not only my own experience around financials, but also uh, many others about how it's been able to help transform their business, be able to make proper, better decisions because you're understanding the numbers behind the decisions that you make. Go to club.capital. All right, everyone. Till next episode, lead well.